You are listening to Golden Otter Divinations, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream with Autumn Seibel. Tune in 9 a.m. Pacific, the first Friday of every month, as Autumn helps you manifest your dreams by connecting to loved ones in spirit, empowering you to find both physical and spiritual healing. Are you ready to transform your life and connect to divine guidance through practical strategies? Golden Otter Divinations is the place to find engaging interviews with medical experts, practicing mediums, intuitives, healers, and many more. Now, here's your host, Autumn Seibel. Hi, everyone. I'm Autumn, and you're listening to Golden Otter Divinations on Transformation Talk Radio. Stay with us for the next hour as we explore where the metaphysical meets the mainstream. And join us live each first Friday of the month, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, when we have new, informative, and engaging interviews with medical experts, practicing mediums, intuitives, healers, and many more to help uplift, educate, and empower listeners like you to find physical and spiritual healing. All right, so thanks so much for joining the show. While we are here in the Halloween and Dia de los Muertos spirit of magical possibilities, I couldn't think of a better guest to have on to discuss how we can incorporate practical magic into our everyday lives. Today, I have author Dean Radin, who is Chief Scientist at the Institute of Noetic Studies and Associated Distinguished Professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Dr. Radin earned his MS in Electrical Engineering and a PhD in Psychology from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Uh, before, join, before joining um, research staff at the Institute of Noetic Sciences in 2001, he, helped a, he held appointments at AT&T Bell Labs, Princeton University, University of Edinburgh, and SRI International. He is an author or co-author of hundreds of technical and popular articles, four dozen book chapters, and four popular in-print books, The Conscious Universe, 1997, Entangled Minds, 2006, Supernormal, 2013, and most recently, Real Magic, 2018. All combined, they've sold over 120,000 copies and have been translated into 14 languages so far. Without further ado, welcome to Gold Modder Divinations, Dr. Aiden. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. So to raise our vibration and to really get in the flow, I like to ask all of my guests to share if they've had a golden moment lately. So golden meaning a time when you were just totally in the flow, or an interaction you knew was sent by the, I usually say spirit, but in your case, I'll say the more mystical side of life. Um, and something just that made you smile or made your heart sing. Have you had any golden moments lately? Uh, every day I try to be aware of something I should be grateful for. And usually it's it's small things, uh, but nevertheless, I, I get a, uh, a momentary surge of gratefulness. So to give you an example, the other day, uh, I had a, a moment of gratefulness that we have toilet paper. <laughs> because yeah. if you don't have toilet paper, then it's something that you, you usually really want. Yes. Uh, and the other thing is that with toilet paper in particular, there's a panic that can happen when you suddenly <laughs> realize there is no more <laughs> and it's too late. So that, that's an example of very mundane, relatively minor things where you can have a passing thought saying, wow, I am really thankful for... And this morning, it was a hot shower. There you so, go. So, wow, we have a hot shower inside. So, yeah, I'm grateful well, for many things. You know, that's a, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, as some of my listeners might know, I uh, my spouse is active duty military, and we were stationed overseas in um, Paraguay, in Asuncion, for about uh, 18 months a few years ago when I had a small child. 
And toilet paper was often something I was very grateful for and something I used to bring around with me um, knowing. So it is so funny whenever I ask those golden moment questions, you never know where it's going. And ironically enough, we are preparing for our next move. And I started the process of stocking up on things that we will know we will need, such as toilet paper. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Magic manifests in all sorts of ways. Um, and you know, last thing I wanted to say before we really get in was I noticed recently that Oom Magazine um, voted you one of their top 100 most inspiring people. And they voted you for um, scientist and best-selling author for conducting research into paranormal phenomenon at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which shows all of us a different worldview. And that's what we're here to talk about today, how the... Um, I mean, quite literally how the metaphysical, metaphysical meets the mainstream in the sense that we're saying magic is something that you can't prove and science wants hard facts. So you've written a book that kind of, um, that not kind of, really examines that. So you chose the title Real Magic for the title of your book really intentionally. Um, and you said you wanted to dispel it as a taboo um, topic. Would you mind talking about that? Like how you the conscious strategy behind your title, Real Magic? Well, I would like to say that I thought about it for a long time, but I didn't. I, I was an inspiration and I discussed it with the editor uh, and he said, yeah, that, that's a great title because it, it says in two words, I mean, you, you have roughly 10 to 30 seconds when somebody is considering a book mm -hmm. to capture attention. So you have to punch it. And yeah. in this case, I was thinking, well, what, what do I punch it with? What's going to capture attention? And everybody is interested in magic. Now, they may not know that I, immediately that it's about esoteric magic, which is what the topic is. Mm -hmm. But all you need to see is go to the movies and look at television. And you can see that half of all of the entertainment content has something to do with magic in one way or the other. So it's perennially interesting people. And okay then not attractive but it actually is the topic the book so it came together very quickly yeah i like that you said um if an acceptable pseudonym could be written in the academic world it would be preferred however if it was then discovered that you're actually that you're talking about magic without presenting it as such it'll either be discredited publicly or tuned out um even though in private people will often to say, well, actually, I would like to know more. Would you mind discussing that a little bit, how your book is science-based um, and academic-based, but still finds a way to the mainstream? Well, I'm, I'm trained as a scientist and an engineer. Uh, I, I tend to think that way because I've written lots and lots of, of journal articles and I'm an editor of a journal and I'm in the academic tradition, even though I'm not working at a university at the moment. Uh, so I don't want to write something that is uh, so far in the popular domain that it, it doesn't have the, the credible backing, which is one expects within academic work. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, for most people reading an academic book, it will put you to sleep within 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to do that either because why bother to, to write a popular book if nobody's... So I like writing and I like uh, the, the craft of writing to, And so I'm putting together what I want to write about, which is really a book about science and philosophy of science 
and the history of the esoteric ideas and that sort of thing, but put it in a form where the average person can pick it up and if, if they're willing to sit long enough or listen long enough, they can get the content of the book. Uh, so I, I worked on it for a while and after writing a couple of popular books, they realized what works and what doesn't work. And so this is this is the this is the, the book Real Magic actually is the is the end result. It's yeah. to make something which actually does inform and is about science and philosophy, but not in a, in a way that will make people uh, immediately want to fall asleep. Yeah, I like that you said you didn't want to use a euphemism, euphemism when the real word could serve to resurrect and rehabilitate like magic, yes. um, especially in the academic realms. I think that's so cool. And where we are with our collective consciousness and um, being an educator and seeing young students kind of, we just had to talk about this, like their imagination is kind of beat down by textbooks. It's like, no, no, put those thoughts aside. That that goes into the fake part of life. And then this is the real part. And it's it's this division that I always think, well, what if we let a little bit more of that imagination creep into the real? Because then eventually that imagination becomes real life. I mean, what we're doing right now, recording an audio and a face FaceTime, this a hundred years ago was considered magic. This would have been, I mean, you see the Star, Star Wars, Star Trek, where they have the holographs and that was magical thinking. And now here it is very much a reality. Mm -hmm. And so I love that your book, um, I describe it as the Harry Potter for adults who have been trained academically to think rationally, but still want to have hope and magic. Um, it gives us permission to look at things through a different lens while, while supporting the sciences and academia. So it doesn't, you know, throw in that, throw in their face. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm a big advocate of imaginal thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, we, it is true that a, a part of the, the schooling process and even the process of of becoming mature, that one is expected to not magically think about anything anymore, mm -hmm. not to use your imagination. And there's both good and bad reasons for that. So the good reason is that it, if you tend to believe everything and you're not critically thinking about things, well, you, you could end up in a bad place. Mm -hmm. So let's see, my what is this? You're telling me something. I'll just ignore it. So the future calling they're saying you're on to something yeah <laughs> so uh so it's useful to be thought about critical thinking and rational thinking it prevents us from uh flying down the rabbit hole and never being able to come out this is where you see a lot of, of cults and conspiracies that that happen yeah. so but the flip side is that the the nice thing about science is that as a method it can be used to study anything including yeah. ideas like magic i love and this you know, we've got to get ready to go to a break, but when we come back, I do want to talk more about um, the different categories of magic and what what is considered fictional magic, fake magic, and real magic. And then um, I also want to talk about the foreword in real magic, which is probably the best piece of uh, non-fictional, or what I was calling predictive um, non-fiction text that I've read since Harry Potter. But you're listening to Golden Otter Radio with Autumn Seibel. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll explore more about magical thinking with real magic author Dean Radin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, you're just one moon away from living your best life. Did you know you can transform your life in 30 days with lunar manifestations? Start using the law of attraction to manifest by the cycles of the moon. 
I'm Autumn Seibel, and I just created two incredible platforms for you to finally step into who you're truly meant to be in this life. Visit goldenotter.us to begin your manifesting journey today. That's golden like the precious metal, otter like the precious animal.us. We are back on Golden Otter Radio, and I'm Autumn Seibel. My guest today is Real Magic author Dean Radin, who's talking with us about his most recent work, Real Magic, Ancient Wisdom, Modern Science, and a Guide to the Secret Power of the Universe. But before we continue, I want to make sure everyone knows how to contact Dr. Radin and where to get a copy of his new book. So, Dr. Radin, would you mind giving us um, contact information for your listeners or your website? Uh, DeanRadin.org. Well, or noetic.org. So the institute I work at is Institute of Noetic Sciences, so noetic.org and me, deanradin.org. Awesome. Thank you. And then books are, the book is available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, the whole nine. Right. Um, Dr. Radin, would you mind explaining to our listeners what exactly noetic sciences, it, what they are, what it is? Uh, the word noetic comes from the, the Greek root word nous, which means to know. And so uh, we, we study all uh, ways of knowing. Uh, we generally think sometimes that uh, the only way to know is rationally mm-hmm. or logically. And that's, that those are two ways, but there's also intuitive ways of knowing, psychic ways, mystical ways, lots of different ways. And so uh, the, the, the other side uh, beyond rational ways of knowing is not studied very much in the academic or scientific world. And yet, most of the great inspirations in science and art and music and so on are not rational. Mm-hmm. So we study the whole range of ways of knowing. Fantastic. I love that um, explanation. Thank you so much. So going back to our conversation that we were having just a minute ago about um, the difference between fictional magic, fake magic, and real magic. So in your book, if you say, if Harry Potter is fictional magic and Harry Houdini is fake magic, What represents real magic by your definition? Well, the simple answer is it's not Harry Potter and it's not Harry Houdini, (laughs) whatever is left over. But the the, uh, more accurate answer is that uh, when you you look at the way that uh, science has been developed, it comes out of esoteric traditions. And within the esotericism, the practice of the worldview that is provided by the esoteric worldviews, that practice is magic. And an exact analogy to the practice of applying the scientific worldview is what we call technology. So magic is a kind of esoteric technology. Mm-hmm. So That's, it's something that we can interact with, create, and use how we see fit? Well, well yes, but it, it, more importantly that it's a it's an application of a way of viewing the nature of reality. That's what magic is. And of course, wow. there, there's specifics. It, there's divination and manifestation and so on. But the, the idea is that we, we all have a certain worldview. We have a way of thinking about the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. And when we apply that worldview, we do something with it. Well, that's a technology. So electronics and all of the tools of modern life are the... Mm-hmm applications of the scientific worldview, but there's other worldviews. And so magic is an application of the esoteric worldview. 
Wow. Somebody should tweet that. Somebody get that, tweet that. That's a good one. Um, so in your book, you do talk a, a lot about how our thinking about magic has changed and, you know, alchemy, alchemy is to chemistry. So you're saying the chemistry is missing the intention part on, mm -hmm. on the part of the chemist, astrology to astronomy, astronomy, herbalism to pharmaceuticals. So there's um, this part of consciousness that's lacking in the transition between the two is kind of what I hear you saying. That's true. And the, if you look at the history of science, it very clearly comes out of the magical traditions. Mm -hmm. So as you said, the things like alchemy, astrology, and herbalism were considered magical practices mm -hmm. until we learned enough about them to turn into what we currently think of as science, except that science leaves out an element in all of these. And the element is basically the nature of consciousness. Because anybody who is an alchemist or an astrologer or an herbalist, they knew that their intention was an important component in what they were doing. And we're not taught that in the modern world. Wow, I could go into so many conversations about that with like pharmaceuticals and, and how the intention part is lacking. It's almost like we've discovered something, but we can't remember why we discovered it, but we're still using it. And so it's kind of like, wait, wait, let's reel that back in and get really clear on what the purpose is here. Um, we'll save that for another conversation because I would like to talk about how Real magic consists of three categories, divinations, close to my heart, uh, force of will, and theurgy. Can you explain the difference between the three? Well, divination is what you do. It's per <laughs> perception through space and time. So the, the stereotypes are uh, tossing dice or reading mm -hmm. tea leaves or tarot or crystal balls, all that stuff. Uh, force of will is the idea that your intention can manipulate the physical world directly. We know that you, your intention can make your body move. Mm -hmm. The question is whether can it move beyond your body? That's what manifestation or force of will is. And theurgy is uh, two Greek words put together, which, which basically means God work. And that refers to communication with spirits and other non-physical invisible entities. Very fascinating. I love how in your book you talk about the three different categories and then you go through kind of a historical review and an academic examination of each. So for anybody who's interested in the more academic side of these terms, um, such as myself, uh, Dr. Raiden's book is a great um, resource for this. Maybe someday we'll be using your textbook in futuristic college classes. <laughs> it already is actually being used in- Oh, in is it really? Yeah, in, in yeah. various colleges. Uh, and it's because, uh, we don't want to scare people by saying it's academic mm -hmm. because I mean, it, it, the reason why it's, I think it's important to know what the history is, is because you want to know the context in which to fit something. So yeah. in the modern world, we're taught that magic is okay for the stage and so on, but it, it comes from a very long history, at least 10,000 years or back to the beginning of, of when humans began to write anything. Mm -hmm. And it's an important part. Of, of our worldview today as well. Even though it's, it's kind of set aside as, as fantasy, what I'm trying to portray then and within this book is actually it's not fantasy and there are ways of testing the, the basic ideas. Yeah, so you talk about magical thinking being like knocking on wood, crossing fingers for good luck, saying a prayer in your head and then hoping it manifests and what your book and what you're seeking to explain is that um, 
magical thinking isn't just like a hope and a prayer. It's something that we can enact. Um, well, it's, a, it's a little bit of both. So okay. yes, magical thinking is certainly has a psychological component to it. Uh, it obviously, if everybody thought uh, today I'm going to win the lottery, mm -hmm. well then that clearly doesn't happen. So, so the magical thinking does have a, a certain uh, element of in it that does not match reality. The question is though, does any of it make any sense? Is there any evidence for divination, any evidence for manifestation and so on? And the answer is yes, because these are all testable ideas. So that's why I say that it's important not to, to immediately dismiss certain ideas just because they don't happen to match what we're taught in school. And that's where science is really good. It knows how to test even the strangest kinds of ideas. Somewhere in your book, and I was going to talk about it later in the interview, you did a study on um, mediums, like people who commune with or speak with people who have passed on into spirit and um, showed them a series of photographs of people who were passed, who had passed away and, um, and then tested them on their accuracy. Could you explain that a little bit? Because I found something really fascinating about that in their perception of how long somebody had, pen had been passed away. Mm -hmm. Right. So we prepared uh, 200 photographs, 100 of people who at the time were alive and 100 who had passed away. And so uh, they were balanced in such a way that you couldn't get any clues from the pictures as to whether the person is alive or dead. Mm -hmm. And then we showed each picture to a medium and they had to say very quickly that they think the person's alive or dead or they don't know. Mm -hmm. So. I, I believe we had 12 mediums do the test. They each went through the 200 pictures. We also took their, their EEG, their brain waves, while they were doing the experiment. Uh, and overall, they're statistically significant. They were able to tell, uh, not to a great degree, but statistically speaking, yes, they could tell if the person was alive or dead. And more interestingly, that we didn't predict this, but we found that uh, we had three categories of how long it had been since the person had died. So if they had died within a couple of years, they were, the mediums were much more accurate in telling whether the person was alive or dead. But if they had died a long time ago, decades ago, then they were actually very close to chance. Mm -hmm. So we didn't expect that outcome, and nor did the mediums, because yeah. you can't tell from the photograph how long ago the person was alive or dead. So it, it gave us the idea that maybe this is a way of experimentally testing the notion of reincarnation. Yes. I love that. When I read that, I was like, wow, we actually are getting close to putting a process in place to test things like this. And um, I think that's fascinating and kind of what's coming next in the field of mediumship. You see it sometimes in the popular um, mainstream because people are really fascinated with it and want to know the components and how it works. And some people are able to explain it really well. And some people are just able to do it. And I think finding a way for a conversation to take place where it's okay to be wrong and it's okay not to have all the answers, but to be open to wanting to test it and not necessarily to prove it, but just to be able to show that um, it isn't something that's just like totally bizarre. It's actually a very normal part of human consciousness that we've just kind of tucked away through evolution and the use of other technologies, as you've said. Uh, I just thought that was really cool. And I'm like, okay, someday I want to participate in similar studies or really advocate that there are more of these to kind of normalize um, this idea of intuition for our audiences. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then we're going to have to take a, another break in a minute. But when we get back, I do want to talk more about how you say that religion believes in magic, but strictly bans it. And then talk about some historical examples of that, as well as how religion, um, well, re religion surpasses magic. Science denies that it's even possible. So it kind of puts us in a, in a little predicament. So we'll untangle that when we get back. We're on Golden Otter Radio with Autumn and my amazing guest today, Real Magic author Dean Radin, who's here discussing his most recent book, Real Magic. Stay tuned and we'll be right back. We're back on Golden Otter Radio with Autumn and my very intellectually stimulating guest, Real Magic author, Dean Radin. He's here discussing his most recent work, Real Magic, Ancient Wisdom, Modern Science, and a Guide to the Secret Power of the Universe. So before we um, left, we were about to talk about um, how religion believes in magic, but strictly bans it. And Dr. Radin, could you provide some historical examples of this? Well, not even historical, but current. So within Catholicism today, the uh, ceremony of the Eucharist is the transmutation of uh, one thing into another, mm -hmm. but it's only allowed to be done by priests, by people who are sanctioned by the church. So if somebody does it outside those bounds, then it's immediately considered heretical. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, with especially within Catholicism, but it's true across many religions, that uh, anything which is uh, essentially the same in terms of the practice, the rituals and so on, even some, some elements of belief within the bounds of the church as it is defined by the church, like the catechism in mm -hmm. Catholicism, then it's okay. Those, those magics are fine. Uh, anything outside of it is not only banned, but considered and, and often called demonic, yeah. And of course, in the Middle Ages, this led to hundreds of thousands or more uh, men, women, and children being burned as witches. Yeah. Because they're they're called heretical. I've heard theories that, um, and I will not do this justice, so bear with me. That essentially, as we evolved into a modern species with a lot of um, interdependence in our in our modern world, we kind of isolated power into certain holdings and gave. We gave away a lot of our power. We said, you know what? It doesn't feel safe that we all have this, this unlimited potentiality. So let's give it to a certain group of people and let them be in charge with it so we don't mess it up. Um, some might say that it was taken from us. Some might say that we gave it up. Whatever you want to say, it's this idea that the individual doesn't have power and you are putting it into somebody else, whether that is religion, science, politics, the financial sector, whatever that other is. Um, and I was going to speak to the um, uh, the prologue in your book, Real Magic, is one of my favorite pieces of writing, probably since discovering Harry Potter as a teenager, because it's this little um, synopsis of future teenagers getting into trouble by manifesting these streetlights that can eat people at will uh, because they don't know any better or well, they're playing pranks, but their pranks are so out of control <laughs> that it's like causing, you know, disruption. Um, but even that story was told as part of um, 
like an archival digging. Oh, I don't know. If you haven't read it, please go read it. Even if you just read the first five pages, it is some of the best writing I've seen in a while. Do you want to describe it for our our, our readers, our listeners? <laughs> well, the thank you for that. But the uh, the idea is that uh, we we always imagine that we're living in the most sophisticated time, mm -hmm. always. Uh, and of course, we never are. We, we're living in the time that we're in history. And so I, I decided to write a future history, a history that looks back on today through looking at about 100 years from today. So it's looking back repeatedly through history from the far future. And, and it's basically saying that uh, those poor people back in the 21st century, they didn't realize how important the, the consciousness was as, as an, an element, something to be studied. And they, they were just on the cusp of understanding how important it was and that it was also very, very similar to what the ancients used to call magic. But now this is written from the future time where magic is well understood. And so I use this idea that kids throughout history have been writing graffiti everywhere. And so in the future, you'll also have people who are in a what amounts to a kind of technological magical society and kids will take advantage of that as well and accept that rather than using graffiti to mess up walls they will start using magical spells to create things which are basically an annoyance for adults i love it i love it so much sometimes when i just need a little pick me up i i will go back and listen to that it just makes my imagination kind of tingle and um, gets me into a more fun state of mind as an adult because so often we can get you know really focused on what's rational what's practical and what's real um, and I'm saying it here first it's what would you'd call that uh, fictional writing but I am calling it predictive nonfiction. <laughs> so well all good science fiction is predictive it, it, there you go yeah so um, all right, so speaking of science and science fiction, so we were talking about um, religion and you say at the same time religion surpasses magic, science denies that it's possible. So science shows us how to stimulate magic through tech technological means. Um, could you talk about some revisionist history that you've seen as far as occultists written out of scientific history? Well, one of the it's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, one of the examples I use in the book is one of the founders of the Jet Propulsion lab named Jack Parsons, who was responsible for the design of rocket engines, and very successfully so. Mm -hmm. But he was also a ceremonial magician, meaning that he, he would go out and do rituals with his other friends in the desert. <laughs> uh, and he, can, he attributed some of his success in terms of the ideas that he had for making rockets for, with this ceremonial magic. Mm -hmm. Well, if you look at the history of NASA and JPL, you occasionally will find mentions about Jack Parsons, but you never hear anything about his actual interests. Yeah, That's, there's a lot of people throughout history who have had very similar backstories that when you dig a little bit past the um, glossy pages of history, you'll find who they really were as individuals. And you know, we were just talking about that with um, Golden Otter. This is my behind the glossy page. Mm -hmm. um, but and, you know, uh, J.K. Rowling, she's the, the author of um, the Harry Potter series, huge. And I remember when that book came, that series really hit its popularity. She was forced basically to deny any belief in um, the occult to keep religious groups at bay. And I think in it, since then, 
um, she's kind of come out and said that she does believe magic was possible and kind of put some, kind of put some um, books, but you know, parentheses, parentheses around it, but has also opened it back up to, you know, now that the series is done to say, you know, what if magic really does exist? Um, mm-hmm. That's really cool. And then, um, so you say all of the ideas within magic have actually been systematically tested for the last 150 years. Could you explain how claims of magic, such as divination, power of will, and theurgy, have been proven and are in fact repeatable? Well, the first thing is that uh, the word proof in science is is a, a heavy word, and you actually only see it mentioned in mathematics. You can mm-hmm. prove mathematical theorems, uh, and in alcohol, we have different levels of proof in alcohol. Uh, so in science, it's more about the confidence in evidence. So I don't I don't use the word proof very much. What I can say then is that divination is about perception through space and time. So from a scientific perspective, we can study and have studied for a long time now ways of perceiving through space and time called clairvoyance mm-hmm. or precognition. Mm-hmm. So those are both completely amenable to being studied in the laboratory. Uh, for power of will or manifestation in the lab, we call it psychokinesis. Mm-hmm. Some people use the word telekinesis. It's the same thing. It's the notion that your intention can cause something to happen at a distance. And theurgy, uh, which has to do with spirits, uh, we study that in terms of uh, verifying that mediums can do what they say they can do accurately. We're also studying channeling. We can study near-death experiences, after-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, and so on. So while thinking of it in terms of magic, if if you have in your head the idea of Harry Potter, the magic that you generally see is huge things, like mm-hmm. like levitation and, mm-hmm. and magical spells and so on. People sometimes forget that fiction is always an embellishment of reality. In this case, an embellishment doesn't mean you make it out, out of clo- out of nothing. It's a mm-hmm. real thing, mm-hmm. uh, but you wouldn't expect that you'd be able to find somebody who can do Harry Potter style magic under controlled conditions. In fact, we never see anybody who can do that. What we can see is real, it's real stuff that can be demonstrated to high levels of, of statistical confidence, but it's not the same as fiction. Mm-hmm. So the nonfiction form of magic is quite real. There really is divination and ma- manifestation and so on. But the magnitude of it and, the, and how robust it is and how repeatable it is is much more in line with everything else that we know about human performance. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people say, well, why, how come we don't get 100% accuracy when a psychic does a reading? Mm-hmm. And I say, well, how come the best baseball players in the world only get a, a base hit one in three times? We're, we're not perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there was a, a few things in your book I wanted to t- relate back to that, one being um, the when people are, you do a tea ceremony and um, in, embed the tea with healing and the receivers of the tea who believed that they were going to get healing were the ones who ended up getting it. So it goes back to this idea of intention. And um, we could talk about that because we're going to take another break. But um, another thing you said in the book was there was a time when you were getting ready to go to, or you were, you had just arrived in, um, what do they call that? Tech Valley up in San Francisco, Silicon Valley. Okay. And you, somebody manifested you. You walked into their office 
almost by magic. They go, I've been trying to get a hold of you through deep yogic meditation, trance sleep for however long. And here you are. And you just walked into their office by happenstance. And actually a very similar thing happened with getting you on the show. I found your book by accident, purpose this summer, listened to it twice. Um, a girlfriend recommended it after I said I would be reading. She's like, oh, that's so great. I've been meaning to tell you about this book. Long story short, I'd been reading it. And I think, man, I'd really love to ha have him on the show. So I wrote you and thinking, and then I released it. The intention was you'd be coming on the show, but I released it thinking you're a busy guy, maybe six months, a year. We'll see when you come on. 24 hours later, you were in my inbox. I was like, it works. Gene Martin is right. So I used your own book to manifest you on my show. So I just wanted to share that fun little story. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. But you know what? We've got to take another break. Um, when we get back, Dr. Raiden will be telling us more about real magic. So stay tuned. You are one moon away from living your best life. Did you know you can transform your life in 30 days with lunar manifestations? Start using the law of attraction to manifest by the cycles of the moon. Autumn Seibel has created two incredible platforms for you to learn, grow, heal, and step into who you truly are. Visit goldenotter.us to begin your manifesting journey today. on Golden Otter Radio with Autumn Seibel. I have real magic author Dean Radin here discussing the bridge between the metaphysical and the mainstream. Now he's going to give us some more information on flagrantly psychic robots and how to become aware of the effects of real magic in our daily lives. So Dr. Radin, right before we went to break, um, I was about to mention flagrantly psychic robots, which was not something we could cover in just a few minutes. So let's unpack that for a minute. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a, a significant push in the technological world to make artificial intelligence uh, not only as intelligent as we are, but more intelligent. And so the, the fear among some people is that uh, the moment that the robots are smarter than us, they're also much faster than us individually. And we're talking about not necessarily a robot, but of computer systems that span the entire world which will be able to think faster than anyone ever has to, to come up with ideas. And also that because technology has come as in control of most of the technologies around the world, including the, the electrical grid and all of the other things that we rely on. Mm -hmm. If those systems suddenly become aware of themselves and decide that they want to do something, we would not be able to stop it. So this is what gives rise to things like the Terminator series of science fiction stories. And there are lots of science fiction stories based on this idea that somehow our technology goes ahead of us and wipes us out. So along with that is the notion, and this comes from our idea of what do we think consciousness is? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people in Silicon Valley are imagining that at some point we get machines that are so com so complicated and so similar to us that we can download our consciousness into the robot body and live forever. Okay. Our, like our awareness is inside some kind of, of artificial body. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who are interested in that. Uh, it assumes that our, our conscious awareness is the result of 
the highly complicated structures like the brain. Mm -hmm. so the brain is an incredibly complicated object. It has recursion, all kinds of, of self-reflective loops in it and things of that sort. And this is thought to give rise to our sense of experience or, or consciousness. There's actually no evidence that that is the case. And so if that, and this is all from a modern scientific viewpoint that that's how consciousness is imagined. But from one of the things you, you learn about very quickly when you start studying magic is that from the esoteric traditions, it is not that consciousness is something that is somehow magically created out of physical matter, like your brain, but rather it was here first. It was always here. There's always consciousness. And from, again, from the esoteric tradition, the physical world and everything we know about space and time and all the rest of it emerge out of consciousness because it's fundamental. It's more fundamental than physics. So from that perspective, if that is correct, and our studies and others of magical properties suggest that it is correct, then it suggests that if you have a sufficiently complicated robot brain, mm -hmm. that it would in fact uh, enjoy a certain degree of consciousness, perhaps like ours, perhaps more conscious than us, because the physical structure itself can sustain what we experience as consciousness. In other words, you have a, a highly complicated thing inside your head that is allowed to, let's put it in, in quotes, receive mm -hmm. or detect that there's consciousness out there and that's what we experience. And we feel it localized in our head, but if divination is correct and clairvoyance, it's not completely inside your head because otherwise you wouldn't be getting information from elsewhere. So you can imagine that sometime in the future we'll have these very complicated uh, or sophisticated androids that are artificial humans, which could be psychic and may well be psychic because they will have consciousness, but they don't have the psychological filters that prevent most humans from being able to have it at their, at their disposal. So I don't know if, if the rest of, if our listeners are like me, I'm sitting here, I feel like I'm in a college class where the gray matter in my brain, I can feel new neurons and new synapses branching out going, that's a new concept, just go ahead and follow it and catch on to it and you'll understand what he's talking about in a few days. Well, that, that's, I, this is one of the reasons why I had to put this in a book because exactly the, the chapter where I'm talking about the, uh, if magic is real, what then? That's yeah. basically, I'm talking about psychic robots. You, you need to, to have a little context and history to understand why that's even something to think about. Yeah. And it's hard to talk about in a paragraph, but it, yeah, there I think is a real possibility that future robots will not only look and act and think and be like humans, but in terms of psychic ability, they'll be way beyond us. You talk about the co the concept of big C and little C in your book, big C being universal consciousness. It's what I think some people refer to as source, infinite intelligence, God source, God, you know, the ethers, and then little C being our individual collective consciousness that we keep encapsulated within our bodies and within our minds. But like you said, if divinations, clairvoyance, um, telekinesis, and telepathy, if these things are real or in, or somehow provable it's this idea that our little c is constantly connecting with big c and everybody's constantly collecting so it's like there's the cloud of information that you can constantly go to and download that information from um 
that is yeah, a way to that is a way to think of it, but it's actually more even more intimate than that in the sense that a little c and big c are exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's not that you connect with something because in order to connect with something else, it implies that the two things were separate and that you, you know, you're making a connection somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, but all, all of the esoteric traditions say that little c <clears throat> is a part of big C. It mm -hmm. is not separate from it's just it it's our own perception that makes it seem as though it's separate but it isn't hmm. and and so from this perspective this is actually the reason why magic can work from this perspective that everything is basically made up of consciousness as you said it has lots of different terms that are used for it but there's some universal awareness if right. our experience then is a piece of the universal awareness that universal awareness is also the source of why the physical world exists in the first place that means that we individually, the little C inside of us, which is actually part of the big thing, we also then have the same capacities to be aware of anything in space or time and to, to cause, to emerge out of our consciousness, the world, what we call that manifestation, when we're talking about it from the point of view of a human. For anybody who needs a visual, I think of, have you seen the movie Avatar where they all take their hair tails and... Yeah. And use my braid and plug in to the to the to source the I can't remember what they call the tree of knowledge, but mm -hmm. that's sort of what this idea um, in the mainstream reminds me of. Yeah, this is this is the the essence of the esoteric traditions is that consciousness is fundamental, and so little C is this actually the same as big C. You know, and then in your book also you talk about, so if we're supposed to, um, if we're catching up with this idea or reverting back to this idea that magic is real, how we, how do we incorporate it into our daily lives? Um, you say that we don't just throw out our textbooks and say it's all wrong. We just add to it or we make some fundamental shifts in our understanding. Right. So this has to do with uh, one of the fears that scientists have is that uh, if we start admitting that, that magic is real, we have to throw away all the textbooks. I hear this all the time. And it, it's, it doesn't make any sense to me because we know that uh, most of what science is learning and discovering is valid through our technologies. Mm -hmm. We can apply the knowledge and the knowledge works. So we know that it's pretty good. On the other hand, do we understand everything? Do we, do we have everything wrapped up? No, yeah. science is relatively new. So how do you then, what do you do with this? Well, you, you try to, you figure out a way, as I describe in the book, to expand our current understanding of the nature of reality. And you do that by adding consciousness into the mix. And when so you do that, you suddenly have all of science, still the same the way it was before, plus mm -hmm. magic. Perfect. All right. Well, that's where we'll put a pin in it. Consciousness coming into the textbooks as a fundamental principle. I want to thank my guest today, Real Magic author Dean Radin, for sharing a bounty of information. And I want to thank you all for tuning into Golden Otter Radio. Be sure to check me out on Instagram where you can um, follow along and let me know about your golden moments so I can cheer you on. And uh, also, I had a great time sharing this sacred co-creation space with you, Dr. Radin. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. And then please remember to join us every first Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Our next show will be Friday, December 7th with energy healer and crystal expert Joseph Adams discussing integration of our subtle energetic body and physical bodies 
via the astral plane. Have a great week and I'll feel your vibes back here next time.